Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, I don't really know where to start. It's it's all falling apart so quickly. I remember a few months ago, you were not very impressed with Liz Trust to begin with, but I think this is a, even more dramatic than you expected. Yes, I mean, forget the failure of Liz Trust. That's a very minor part of a very, very much bigger picture. Think about this. You know, Quateng puts in place a budget. Now, there were mistakes. There clearly should have been some spending cuts. Of that, I've no doubt. But in terms of directional change, in terms of looking to help the self-employed and small traders, in terms of keeping the tax burden at reasonable levels, uh, in terms of political philosophy, it was a very welcome change in the right direction. But oh, no, 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 that would never do. That would never do. As soon as the IMF, the European Central Bank, President Biden, Chancellor Schultz of Germany, all went on the attack. <clears throat> the markets had a bit of a run. Although it's worth remembering, the yen has fallen far more than the pound, and US interest rates are far higher than gilt yields at the bank. But that all got forgotten. That all got forgotten. Not only is there a dramatic U-turn in all of those things, but significantly, the Chancellor gets removed, and the pro-Chinese Communist Party, globalist, pro-EU, Jeremy Hunt, from nowhere, gets put into place. Where was he when he got the call? Brussels. Well, I'm sure that's a complete coincidence. So he comes back on Eurostar, doesn't just become chancellor, takes control of the whole government operation, sacks the Home Secretary, because she wants to actually keep the manifesto commitments on legal and illegal immigration, puts in place another of his own ilk. And this is a coup. I mean, this is a globalist, Remainer coup. And I don't see any way back for the centre-right, free market, Eurosceptic wing of the Conservative Party. They are routed, they are beaten, they are silent. And this now sets the course for British politics for some years to come. <clears throat> it almost doesn't matter whether it's Labour or Conservative. They're both in economic terms. Social policy may be slightly different, but in economic terms, they're both going to follow the Blairite, Cameroon, big state, high tax, high regulation model, believing that it brings stability. Well, let's have a look at what stability has done for us. Productivity, 20% lower than France's, which seems almost impossible. I've never known a Frenchman work hard. Um, you know, low growth, increasing debt, and that's the trap we're in. And I think, I, you know, I have to face up to it perhaps more than anybody, that for the economy and for the business community, the promise of Brexit has now delivered pretty much nothing. All the things that you and I were talking about a couple of years ago, all of our excitement about what the UK could do, it's gone. It's gone. Now, that's not to say that Europe itself isn't in an even bigger mess than we are, because I think it is. And we might be witnessing some financial problems in Europe far bigger than we've got. Uh, and I think we probably will over the course of the next few months. Uh, but politically, what has happened is very significant. And I repeat, I'm not, you know, an Alex Jones conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But this is a this is this is a coup in British politics. Trust may be gone within a few days, but it almost doesn't matter. She's not even relevant. And look at what they've sunk to, you know, scuffling in the division lobbies. I, I, I mean, the, these are 
and I've said it many times before, some of the lowest grade individuals I've ever come across in my life. Uh, that they, they are in politics purely uh, to climb the greasy pole, not actually for what they can do for the country. Uh, they've got their comeuppance. On a bigger political um, debate, I do wonder now whether the 200-year-old Conservative Party, arguably the most successful political party in the Western world in our democratic history, I do for the first time now really begin to wonder whether uh, the moment hasn't come when they maybe need to be replaced. We're recording this on Thursday morning, and the, the big drama about this scuffle in Parliament and the vote on the on the carbon on the um, fracking bill and all this, similar to the budget story. To me, it's it's a storm in a teacup. It doesn't really matter that much, and yet the MPs and the media and the commentators are making it out to be an absolutely extraordinary, scandalous event. Is that another sign of of the globalists trying to to stage their coup? I guess. It is, um, very much so, and they're very powerful, they're very coordinated. But, you know, Thatcher and Reagan took on a post-war consensus, butskalism, as it was known in the British economy, where basically the Conservative and Labour parties pursued very, very similar policies. Those policies had led to the disease of inflation in the 1970s, which we suffered worse than many other countries. And, 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 And that's where we are again. That is where we are again. But you see, the difference is that we could have withstood the short selling on the markets. We could have withstood Joe Biden saying what he was saying. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? To cut from 45p to 40. <gasps> Kel Horair. I mean, I could move tomorrow to southern Italy and get a 12% tax deal for the next five years. You know, there's tax competition going on all over the world. And yet we're not allowed to change that big national agenda. Um, the difference is... In those days, both Thatcher and Reagan had parties that were firmly behind them. They held their nerve and they won through. You know, I'm old enough to remember the 364 economists writing to the Times to say Thatcher's budget was wrong and it was a disaster, but the party held together. And and you know as well as anybody, when you make economic change, there is a lag time before you get results. And you have to hold your nerve in that period. What we've seen with the British Conservative Party is the true British Conservative Party, which actually is pretty much a globalist, just-in-time supply chain party dominated by the thinking of big business and not small entrepreneurs. What's the process if this trust does resign? How's the next prime minister chosen? Well, who's to say? I, I mean, spin a coin, you know. I mean, I don't see them going back to the membership because they just told the membership they don't agree with the membership's choice. So they'll try and anoint Rishi Sunak, I guess. Again, the stability argument, you know, the ex-Goldman Rishi, that's what we'll get. Um, the party will be furious. Uh, he'll command no respect in the country. I, it could be that we reach a point where the level of public contempt and perhaps press contempt as well gets to a level where a general election becomes unavoidable. Now, there doesn't need to be a general election for two years and two months. Uh, But I'm beginning to think more and more in the last 24 hours that maybe the public will say, you just can't keep doing this to us. Actually, do you know what? We voted for a party with Boris at the head of it. Now you've you've now installed a revolving door in number 10. We've had four chancellors in four months. So so the demand for a general election is coming strong. I mean, look, who knows what would happen at the moment, the opinion polls suggesting the Tories would get wiped out to a rump of 40 or 50 seats. 
Um, and that's quite possible. I suspect the turnout will be the lowest it's ever been. Um, and there'll be, you know, Reform UK will challenge and we'll get quite a lot of votes, but probably not many seats. Um, but we're headed for a big Labour majority and we're headed for an absolute crisis in are we going to have in this country, you know, a credible party of opposition uh, that actually advocates and believes um, both in democratic and economic terms, the kind of things that we've been pushing and arguing for on fortune and freedom for the last couple of years. What would happen if the Conservatives win that election? Because it seems to me that there's some sort of bizarre stalemate happening here between the, the party membership, the country and the MPs and the, you know, the globalists who decide what they want. I mean, the Conservatives cannot win that election. You forget it. Yeah, trust is completely broken. Boris was part of that trust breakdown. It's now evaporated completely. Um, it, it, it isn't going to happen. The question is, how big will the disaster be? Will it be a 97-type scenario where they lose half their seats? Or will they just get like, like in Canada, where the Conservatives in Canada 30 years ago got wiped down to two seats? They'd been the party of government. We don't know the scale of this. It's what comes next that will really matter. How concerned are you from a financial and economic perspective of a, uh, a Labour government? Then? We've got one now. What's the difference? What's the difference? I mean, you know, Hunt, Hunt if, let's say you're a director of, as millions of people are, of a small limited company. Hunt has just announced your corporation tax is going up by 30%. The dividends that you pay yourself through that company, that tax is going up by one and a quarter percent. <clears throat> and if you're trying to operate as an IR35 contractor and finding the bureaucracy and the rules making it incredibly difficult to run a legitimate business where you can put genuine expenses against income, uh, you've been told there's going to be no change. I mean, on all three of those counts, you're going to be absolutely furious. And you have to think what the knock-on effect to entrepreneurship and growth of that is. And I think it's very serious. So I think we're going to be stuck back in this sort of model that we've had ever since 2010. And it's not working. You know, yes, I know we've had the financial crisis. I know we've had COVID. I know we've got the, 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 the energy problems. Um, but the energy problem was completely self-inflicted. The COVID damage was because we pursued a policy unlike Ron DeSantis and the Swedes. Uh, you know, and, and part of the global financial crisis, well, hey, no Australian banks got bailed out. No Canadian banks got bailed out. So every time they try to blame global events, on our level of national debt rising, actually the finger starts to point back towards us. So that's what we've had, increasing debt, low productivity, low growth, and now everyone's delighted. Nice, that nice Jeremy Hunt's there, because we're gonna to return to stability. It's a form of stability that has led to failure. I'm a lot more concerned about the monetary policy side of things. We've got news now that the Treasury is going to have to bail out the Bank of England for its losses under QE policy. That bailout has begun. What do you make of this? Are you concerned about there's a, a fis fiscal death spiral that's beginning here? It's possible. Yes, it is possible. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite going there yet, but it is possible. Uh, what I do know is that the Bank of England have utterly failed at everything. You know, we were talking about inflation 18 months ago. Even, even last October, they were saying, oh, don't worry, little heads, it isn't going to happen. Uh, Bailey was the worst choice. Failure at the FCA uh, when he was there in charge of market regulation and, and protecting private clients. Um, 
yeah, we need radical reform of the Bank of England as well. Again, you know, that's another element of policy, Nick, you've just mentioned that I didn't put on my list that has represented failure. What has QE done? It's made the rich richer and the poor poorer. You know, we've pumped assets through some of these policies. So, yeah, quite how difficult, quite how bad this gets, I just don't know. Isn't it a poison chalice then for Labour to, to win a general election or for well, Jeremy Hunt? So here's one line of thinking. This is the Machiavellian gove, you see. One line of thinking is the best thing possible is to have a general election and give the ball to Labour, who clearly have no policies and no clue whatsoever, other than they'll go along with this concept of stability. So there is a school of thought. There is a school of thought that says that might be a good thing. I've also considered in the last couple of days that maybe the way Liz Truss gets back at the disloyalty of those in her own party is she goes to the king and demands a general election so that they all lose their seats. So there's all sorts of ways this could play out. Yeah, I think... Uh... Whatever happens, it's going to be mighty entertaining to write about. I'm not so sure it's going to be so entertaining on the receiving end, but hopefully we can make no. it funny for the people at home. Nigel, thanks for joining us. Never at home. Thanks, thanks for watching.